So let's review just for a, a minute or two. We got down last time to about verse uh, 43. Um, and following this narrative as it's began, day one we saw John the Baptist and him being questioned by the Pharisees and by the religious rulers. Who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you that prophet? The next day we saw Jesus coming to John and John bearing witness, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The next day, and if you follow along in the Scripture, you'll see that. And the next day, uh, John is standing there with two of his disciples. We know one of them is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and the other is not named, assumed to be John, the writer of this gospel. And the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, and they follow after Him. It's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And I know this is confusing, but if you're going to keep time the way the Jews do, it's as in Genesis 1, the evening and the morning was the first day. So their day began, for us, our day begins at midnight. When midnight comes, it'll be Monday morning then. For the Jew, it was 6 o'clock p.m., so they're at the 10th hour, I believe. So that was 4 o'clock. It was almost time for another day. They stayed the night there with Jesus. Andrew goes and gets Peter and brings him to Christ. And Jesus changes Simon's name. He changes his name to Cephas or Peter, which is by interpretation a stone. So right now we've got Jesus, Andrew, this unnamed disciple of John the Baptist and Peter. And in verse 43, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip saith unto him, Come and see. We'll stop there and we'll pick up in just a minute. But here Jesus is going into Galilee. So you see how, and isn't it interesting how God works. God, God can work uh, in the means He sees fit. He, he gets John and Andrew through John the Baptist. Peter is drawn through his brother Andrew. And here Jesus Himself is going to go into Galilee and the Word there findeth. Jesus is... If, if I say I found it, if I holler at Morgan and say, Hey, honey, I found it. Wouldn't you say that implies that I was searching for that? That was missing and that was being looked for. Well, here, Jesus findeth Philip. So he was looking for him. Jesus was seeking him out. And you'd think I, I, that draws my mind back to uh, the Garden of Eden. And there was Adam and Eve and they were hid amongst the trees and God's come and He's, he's looking for Adam. Where art thou, Adam? And Jesus here was searching for Philip just as he came by the Word and by the Spirit 
and sought for us. I believe he sought for Anthony that morning. And he found him. And he said, follow me. And that's the way the Lord done everyone that's been saved. He sought us out. He found us. And he said unto us, follow me. Now, we, we don't have all that happened here. Jesus says, follow me. We learn where Philip was from. So he's calling all these men out of Galilee. Galilee was not a place known for intelligence, was not a place known for righteousness, was not a place that was recognized as being a, a mighty place by the religious leaders of the Jews. It was just a little fisher town. Ignorant and unlearned men, that's what they called Peter and James and John. Ignorant and unlearned men, they fished for a living and that's how they done. And They were just fishermen down there. There really wasn't any real godly people. But out of this place is where Jesus is calling. See, He takes the least and the lowest and the worst, the most backwards, the filthiest. He takes the least, the bottom of the barrel, and He makes them His apostles so that when these ignorant and unlearned and filthy and vile or whatever you want to call them, when they stand up and begin to preach the Word, we know it's not because they were some mighty religious people, but it must have been the Lord that made a change in them. It's all for the glory of the Lord. So the weakest vessel that you can find, if the Lord can make that one get the job done, then it's to the Lord's glory because we know that they couldn't have done it otherwise. And so he's calling these. And so in Isaiah 65, I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. Was Philip looking for Jesus? Jesus' ministry has just begun. We're, we're about three, four days into the ministry of Jesus. He's not wrought any miracles. All that we've seen is the witness of John the Baptist. Philip probably doesn't even know who he is. And here he comes, he says, follow me. And it's the work of the Lord seeking those that were not seeking for him. Is, you, maybe this doesn't get thought of a lot. Because it's thought that, well, we sought Him on the altar for Him to save us. But He sought us first. The reason we sought Him on the altar was because of the call that came first unto our life. Isn't it great that God didn't wait on me to be seeking and searching after Him with a great desire in my heart to be saved if God would have waited on me to come to that place before He said to me, follow Him, I would have never gotten in. I'm confident of me. Maybe not for you, but for me, I can say I would have never got to the place that I was truly seeking after Him except He first came and called for me. How could Philip seek for Him? He didn't know who He was. And we didn't either. We had heard of Him. We knew stories about Him, but to know who that He really was, that this man was the Son of God, the Savior of the world, our only hope of heaven. I thought I was going to heaven. Didn't think I needed that. 
And so the Lord sought for them that were not seeking. And listen, I am found of them that sought me not. What about Philip went maybe to the market that day and he was going to buy fish. He was going to buy groceries. And the Lord found him there. Not looking with no thought of finding the Lord whatsoever. Isn't it amazing if you can go back to the instant that the Lord opened your eyes I wasn't at church when the Lord opened my eyes. But God came to me when I had no thought of Him whatsoever in a wicked place, in a sinful place. And He opened our eyes. You know where I wanted to go then? I wanted to go to the church house. I wanted to go where the gospel was, where that He might call me to follow Him. And so in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. So Paul has been apprehended. He's been taken into custody. The Lord came and took him into custody. And let's be clear here. In Christ, the church is perfectly righteous. There is therefore no new condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, if you have, as John the Baptist has testified and we're going to see in chapter 3, if you've been baptized, immersed into the Holy Ghost and fire, and the Lord Jesus has made you free, there's no condemnation can come to one that's in Christ Jesus. They're perfect. They're complete. They can't be cast out. They can't be kept out of heaven. They can't be cast aside. They're in Christ and in Him. They're perfect and complete. But Paul's living day by day in the flesh. See, you've got two things going on here. In Christ, we're perfect, we're free, we're sanctified. But like Greg said just a week or two ago, we live day by day in a flesh that is far from perfect and far from complete. So Paul's been apprehended of Christ... And now in his heart, his desire is to draw closer to him and in his day-to-day life and behavior, apprehend and be more like Christ. And I believe that's the desire of anyone, anyone that's been apprehended of Christ and put in him. They now have an inward love and affection and desire to live pleasing to him. So Paul, yes, he's perfect and complete in Christ, but he didn't sit down and say, I'm good now. But he's going after the mark to become more and more like Jesus. In Luke 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Not to save that which is seeking, 
if we're not careful, that's the way it'll be preached. But the Lord is seeking and the Lord is saving that which is lost. That was His mission. And He has sought after Philip. He's found him and He's called him. And Philip of the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip findeth Nathanael. Now I don't know how long Philip may have stood with him, if he had talked with him, or if at this moment his heart is so apprehended, Andrew's first thought was for the one that he loved the most, his brother, I need to go get my brother and he needs to meet this man. And so Philip's first thought was for Nathaniel, his dear friend. Nathaniel needs to see this man, Jesus Christ. So he says to Nathaniel, we have found him. So now, I, I realize it gets said sometimes, I found the Lord. That's, that's kind of what Philip is saying here. But notice who really found who here. I think we, we ought to recognize that and keep that straight in our mind. It wasn't that I came down the road and tripped over him and there he was and I picked him up and took him with me. But he found me and he picked me up and took me with him. But he says, Nathaniel, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets, the entirety of the Old Testament leads to this man. He was the end of the law. He was the end of the prophets. That word end, it's a termination. It's the point that's aimed at. So Jesus was the point that the prophets and that the law was aiming at. He was the target in the distance. He was the answer. Listen to what He says in John chapter 5, verse 46. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote of me. So Jesus said, if, if you really believed Moses, there were people there that said they believed Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the books of Moses. We believe everything he said. We believe he was the man of God. And Jesus said, if you really believe Moses, you'd believe me also. Because I was, the, I was what Moses was writing about. Again in Luke 24 verse 27, here he's already resurrected. He's walking on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets... He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. And so Jesus walking with these two men, and you think as Luke wrote that, I, I believe Luke was one that sought out eyewitnesses and took their accounts. Luke probably spoke to these two men that on, were on the road to Emmaus, and as they describe it to Luke, they say, you know, we, we walked a pretty good ways and he went, through, he went through Moses and he went through all of the prophets and he revealed himself in all of those scriptures. And it doesn't say in some of them, but in all. So what's the book about? 
It's to point me, every bit of it, is to point me to Jesus. Even the part, even the Ten Commandments, absolutely. What am I supposed to do, really, when I read the Ten Commandments? Recognize my guilt, and I need something to help me. I need deliverance from my guilt. It's all to point to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have found Him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth. Now that's an interesting term. Listen to this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. So we've got... You you may have to look through the four Gospels to get it put together pretty good. But we've got a description and understanding. But when He heard that... Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod. He was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So that prophecy there is out of Amos. But you remember now how... The Lord was born. Sometime after, the wise men came to Bethlehem to search Him out. They came to Herod. Herod said, when you find Him, come back to me. They never came back to Him. And so Herod, wanting to kill this king so that he didn't take his place, he ordered the the murder, the destruction of every child two years old and under in Bethlehem. You remember that? And so that was carried out, but Joseph was warned in a dream of what was coming and they fled before that was carried out. And they went to Egypt. After some time passed, Herod had died. They said, let's go back home. So they pack up and they leave Egypt. And here they're on their way. Now this is Mary, Joseph, and the young Jesus. On their way back, they hear that Herod's son is reigning. Joseph hears that and thinks, you know, this may not be good. His mind's to protect his family. This may not be good. We may not ought to go all the way back. God warns him in a dream. He turns aside and they live in Nazareth. But now this Nazareth, that's going to be a problem in the mind and in the heart of men. Nathaniel's going to say, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know what he's thinking? Old Testament Scripture. When you read in Amos that he would be called a Nazarene, you think about Samson. You remember Samson? And he had a vow on him from his birth that he wouldn't drink strong drink and that he wouldn't cut his hair. That was the vow of a Nazarite. And so maybe that's what they thought of Amos and not that he was going to be called a Nazarene as being from the city of Nazareth. But as he's thinking about the Old Testament and the prophecies that they know and have been taught, he says, well, I can't think of a single prophecy about a man from the city of Nazareth. Can any good thing come from there? Listen to a scripture or two. On of, over in John chapter 7, 41 and 42. 
Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the Scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So they knew the Old Testament. The Old Testament said he was going to come from Bethlehem. And now this man's living in Nazareth. This can't be the right man. But see, they were ignorant to the truth. He was born in Bethlehem. That's where he came from. He was of the seed of David. You can follow the lineage. God provided us the lineage in the Gospels. But see, his family, that's not where they lived. They were brought to Bethlehem, remember, because Caesar Augustus taxed the world and he said in order to pay this tax, you've got to go back to your hometown. And Mary and Joseph's hometown, not where they were living, but where they were from, was Bethlehem. And she's nine months pregnant as they're on their way and it's there that Jesus is born. And the Scripture is perfectly fulfilled. He is a Bethlehemite. He is of the seed of David. But him living in Nazareth is causing a problem. Again, in John 7, verse 52, just a few verses down from there, they answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look. So he's saying, Go to the Word of God, and search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. There is no prophecy that testifies of a man out of Galilee. So remember when I said that Peter and Philip and John, these men out of Galilee, Galilee wasn't thought much of. Philip says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth, a town in Galilee. And here, the Word of God, it doesn't speak of anybody from Galilee. And in Mark chapter 6, now I want you to notice this. Mark chapter 6, we'll come back to this verse later. Verse number 3, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. What offended them? Who that he was and where he was from. He was not some great king like David was. He didn't have great riches. He didn't have a great army. Instead, he was a carpenter. In some places you read he was the son of the carpenter. Is not this the carpenter's son? In Mark chapter 6 they say, is not this the carpenter? And so they're offended at the fleshly state of the Lord Jesus. This can't be Him. He can't be the Christ because He's from Nazareth. So now you kind of see what Nathaniel is saying He's not being a smart aleck, as it sounds when you read it. He's saying, can can anything good, can it really be the Christ if He's coming out of Nazareth? He's thinking just like everybody else was. 
Philip saith unto him, this is verse 46, we're back in chapter 1. And so Nathanael says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip saith unto him, Come and see. So Philip says, Come see for yourself. I, I think that's an important thing. A wise saying. In 1 Thessalonians 5.21, Prove all things... Hold fast to that which is good. So to prove, there's a testing going on. Test it and see whether it's good, whether it's not. And if it's good, hold fast to that. So Nathaniel, though he's doubting, he's wondering in his mind if this is true, Philip says come and see, and he's going to go and see for himself whether this is indeed the Christ. Now verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. So Philip's coming, with Nathanael, Jesus sees Nathanael, and he says, An Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. And I think you've got a you've got a little word picture going on here. Remember what Israel's first name was. Israel the man was Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver and a subplanner, but when God saved Jacob, he changed Jacob's name to Israel. And from there on, they were known as the children of Israel. And that, that saying, it ties them back to the patriarch, Jacob. So Jesus says here the word guile, it means decoy, trick bait, uh, wild. It's deceit or craftiness or it's hypocrisy. So Jesus says, here is a true Israelite in whom there's no hypocrisy. He wasn't coming playing a part. Jesus knows the heart of man. He's come to truly seek out the truth. Wouldn't it be good if that was in the heart and mind of man? A desire to show me the truth of the Word of God. Often it's it's backwards. Yeah. I know and I, I, I'm set on what I think the truth is. Let's bring the Word of God to the truth that I know. There's no genuineness in studying the Bible that way because the Bible's inerrant. There's no flaw in the Word. I tend to err, believe it or not. I tend to be wrong. So if there ought to be any that comes genuine, it ought to be me coming genuine to the Word of God, seeking out the truth. That's the way that Nathaniel is coming. In Acts 17.11, you read this, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the Word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So he's writing about the Bereans here. 
He says they were more noble because they had more of a heart that was searching after the truth. They wanted to know whether it was true or not. Paul would preach something that they hadn't heard, that they were unaware of, and they didn't throw him out immediately, but they went to the house and they got their Old Testament down and said, is that really what the Bible says? They were searching with a genuine desire, no hypocrisy, a genuine desire to know the truth. And I tell you this, hypocrisy, it might slide you by with man. I might pat you on the back and say, good job with your hypocrisy. I might be fooled, the preacher might be fooled by your hypocrisy. The Lord Jesus has, He has never, not one time, not for a moment, not for a second, been fooled by hypocrisy. He doesn't need you to testify what's in you because He knows what's in you. So, if you want man's approval, you can search it out and get it. God's approval is a different story. He knows what's in it and you can't act that. So, when Jesus says, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile, and Nathaniel says, how do you know me? This, these words, as Jesus spoke them, must have cut straight to the heart of Nathaniel. Because his first thought is, how do you know me? Ain't it amazing how the Word of God, here's a preacher that we don't know, that don't know anything about us specifically, and yet the gospel is preached and it's preached to a whole congregation, and yet at times it's just, it's stabbing me in the heart. How, how does He know me? That's the way the words of God are. God does know us. And His Word hit the mark in the heart of Nathaniel. And Jesus says, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Oh, it goes more than, I I saw you before you ever came here. You didn't have to come for me to know you. I knew you before you ever came. And you know here, when Jesus says that, you put yourself in Nathaniel's shoes. Remember what Nathaniel said under the fig tree? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You reckon he thought? He, He knows that I said that. I'd say that He did. But Jesus, in Psalm 139, O Lord, Thou hast searched me, searched, past tense, it's already done, and known me, past tense, already done. Does He have to come Sunday morning and search me out and show and learn what I am today? Has He come to search me and find out today whether I'm genuine or not? No, the word's past tense. When did he know me? Well, before I got out of the bed, he knew me. Wouldn't you say that's true? But it goes deeper than that. When did he know me? Before the foundation of the world. 
to think that a God that knew my heart and my mind and my will and my intention this morning from before the foundation of the world and that I'm going to hide something from Him today. That's foolish thinking, ain't it? That's the way man thinks. When thou, so thou hast searched me and known me, thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising, thou understandest my thought afar off. You know where I'm going to sit. You know where I'm going to get up. You know my thoughts afar off. So it's not that, well, there's a certain distance. That's not what he's saying. But you know my thoughts before they ever come to pass, afar off. So Jesus is revealing to Nathaniel, I've already saw thee. As a matter of fact, Nathaniel, it really wasn't circumstance and happenstance that brought you here. But you know, I went and found Philip, and I put in Philip's heart to go and find you. What about that? You think that's true? So God's at work. He's revealing His work. And now when, when He says this to Philip, or to Nathaniel, Nathaniel answered and saith unto him, this is verse 49, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. What a testimony. Didn't take much to convince Nathaniel. But I tell you, in, in the little conversation that they had, Nathaniel was convinced that this, he calls him rabbi, that's my master. He's submitting to him as a subordinate. You're the son of God. Boy, that's a big statement. The king of Israel. So in Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice on the earth. Isaiah says that the son's given, on him shall rest the government. Nathaniel says this, you are the son of God, you're the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And what little it took to convince him. Ain't you glad that God can convince a man I mean beyond questioning God can convince beyond debate I like to debate I like to argue even when I know I'm wrong I like to argue a little just to see if I can turn somebody else to be wrong but you know God came and, and I, I never said one word back to God God proved himself and God convinced me beyond any question and shadow of a doubt. I came and gave myself to Him because I knew I was lost and He was my only hope and He convinced me of that. So, Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. This is the beginning. Jesus' ministry is just starting. So in Matthew 13, verse 12, For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. Now when you really read that scripture, 
Let me finish it. Whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. That sounds like an injustice is being done. But Jesus is saying, Nathaniel, you've only begun to see the glory and the power of the Son of God. You know where this glory is going to... It's going to be completely magnified and the cover completely taken off. It's when He resurrects and He appears unto them. But Nathaniel, this is just the beginning. Who would have ever thought that day that the Lord saved me, that was the best day of my life. Think about what changed the day the Lord saved you. And I mean from that day, nothing has ever been the same. Every relationship is better. All of life is lighter. The guilt and condemnation of sin, the fear of judgment, all gone, never to come back. But you know what that was? That was the beginning. And I've saw greater things. I've come to understand greater than what I knew there. And one day, I'm going to go and see Him resurrected and alive and be in His presence forevermore. Only the beginning. And from Him to Him that hath, to them that are Christ's, God's going to give them more. From them that have nothing, to them that are actors and hypocrites, He's going to take, He says in Luke, even that which He seemeth to have. And so... Verse 51, And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So this is referencing back again to Jacob. Jacob's in the wilderness. He's run from his house because he stole his brother's blessing and his brother wants to kill him. And so he's running from Esau. He's out away from his family. And Jacob's been a mama's boy. He stayed under the skirt his whole life. Now he's out in the wilderness by himself and he's going to lay his head on a stone to go to sleep. And while he's asleep, he has a dream. And he sees a ladder. The legs of it's on the earth. The top of it's in heaven. And there's angels ascending and descending upon it. So Jesus says, I am the literal fulfillment of Jacob's dream and vision. The Son of Man is that ladder. So you think about now, about a ladder. And if we're going to use one to get uh, up to a bridge, then we're going to have the legs of it down here where I'm at. If the legs are up above my head, it's not doing me any good. I've got to be able to get on it. The top of it is where we intend to go. It's got to bridge the gap between the two. And that's what the Lord Jesus did. The Lord Jesus was from heaven and He came down. The legs of Him reached the earth. He stood on dirt and on ground. He lived down here. He gave His life. 
He resurrected from the dead. He ascended back to God. And so it's in Him and it's through Him that we have access to heaven. God can come to me and I can come to God only because of Jesus. If it's 24 feet off the ground and I have a ladder, that's my only means to get there. And so Jesus is the only means to come to God. But notice, it's the angels of God. It's it's not me that's climbing a ladder. But it's the angels that are ascending and descending. In Hebrews 1.14, Are they not all ministering spirits, speaking of the angels, sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? What are the angels? They're spirits that are ministering to them who are the heirs of salvation. How does the Spirit reach me? Only through Jesus Christ. If there's no sacrifice, if there's no means of righteousness for me, and there's no means of payment for my sins to God, then there's nothing that can reconcile and bring us together. But God can speak to us and forgive us and bring us to Himself by the Spirit only because of Jesus. If you kick the ladder down, we can't come to God and God can't come to us. Jesus was God's means of coming down to us. So that'll finish chapter 1 real quick. If you go back through this chapter, now you talk about an introduction, just some of the names that Jesus has given in John chapter 1. The Word, the Word with God, the Word was God, the Creator, the Light, the Life, the Lord, the Christ, the Anointed One. Christ is not a name. I feel like sometimes that's taken wrong. His last name wasn't Christ, Jesus Christ. Christ was a title. It meant the anointed one, the Messiah. So he's given the title of the Christ, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, Rabbi or Master, Messiah, and the King of Israel. He perfectly and completely is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. He says in Corinthians, all the promises of God are in Him, yea, and amen. And if you want to see, God made a promise in the Old Testament that He was going to do this for us in Christ. You can find the fulfillment of that promise. That's all that's on our heart. Anything you'd like to say or do?